All right. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Great. You guys are looking especially Christmassy. Well, hey, thank you for being here. Glad to see you. Love looking around and seeing some of our college students home from, uh, uh, for Christmas break. Great to have you back. We love seeing you and are so proud of you. But hey, I don't know if you guys have noticed, and you probably have, but have you noticed that uh, it is officially Christmas music time of year? right? And not just here at church where you expect it, you know, and the music we have here on a Sunday morning or at a concert, but it seems like, and I love this, everywhere you go around town this time of year, the soundtrack has kind of switched over to Christmas music. And so just this week, I was actually in a a, a hardware store, and I was walking through the aisles, and I just had to smile to myself um, because uh, over the loudspeaker comes my favorite Christmas song, or maybe one of my favorite Christmas songs. And so there's people loading up hard, uh, loading up uh, lumber and loading up plumbing supplies. And over the loudspeaker, it is saying, um, oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the dawn of our dear Savior's birth. And so I'm like over in the power tools, having this worship moment, um, watching all this. And I thought, you know what? Look at this. Even in a place like this, Jesus is the reason for the season. I was so thankful for that. Of course, that song ended, and the very next song that came on was Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. And so it kind of ruined it for me, but it was, it was special at the time. Uh, but the point I want to make this morning is, for generations, one of the most common and one of the most appropriate responses to the wonder of Christmas is music. So in fact, last week, Steve talked about how Joseph is so absent from a lot of the Christmas carols. Um, and I have got a few other did you know facts about some of the Christmas music. Um, so maybe you knew these things, maybe you didn't. But for instance, did you know that the song Jingle Bells was not originally written for Christmas? It was originally written for Thanksgiving time. You're looking at me blankly. It's true. I read it on the internet. (laughs) I saw it. Okay, how about this? What do these six Christmas songs all have in common? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, Holly Jolly Christmas, White Christmas, Let It Snow, and Winter Wonderland. What do those six songs all have in common? They were written by Jewish people that don't necessarily even celebrate uh, Christmas. All had Jewish authors. Um, all right, how about this? Did you know, speaking of White Christmas, Bing Crosby's version of White Christmas is still the, the best-selling single of all time. More than the Beatles, more than Elvis, more than Taylor Swift, who I guess doesn't really sell singles, but still, can you even imagine that? Uh, all right, a couple more. In 1966, the very first song ever sung from outer space was Jingle Bells. I figure it must have been like Thanksgiving time, so they wanted to get that in there. And last one, uh, the Christmas song, which is all about, you know, the chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost nipping at, our, uh, nipping at our nose. That was actually not written at Christmas time. That was not even written in the winter. It was written in the middle of summer because Mel Torme said this. He said, it, is, uh, it was so hot. He said, I want to stay cool by thinking cool thoughts. And so there you go. There is some Christmas music trivia for you um, this morning. And a 
enough of that. But what I wanted to talk about is for generations, as, it's, as I said, the best response to Christmas or one of the best responses is music. In fact, at the birth of Jesus, when the birth of Jesus was still a promise to his mother Mary, she was inspired by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit led Mary to do is to write this song, this beautiful song of praise. We sometimes call it Mary's Magnificat. Maybe you've heard it said like that before. That's actually the Latin word for the first word of the song, which is to glorify. And Mary wrote this beautiful song, and today we are going to dig in um, to that as well as the life of Mary together. Um, So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Hopefully you got some message notes when you came in. Um, We are continuing in this series uh, about the work of the Holy Spirit in Christmas. And especially today, we want to look at the life of Mary, which is fascinating. I love uh, this study. So, hey, as you're turning there to Luke chapter 1, and I hope you're turning there, I should mention when anytime you talk about Mary, we need to cover some things up front. Because a lot has been made about Mary throughout church history, especially in certain segments of the church. There's kind of a lot of talk and information about uh, Mary. Uh, And the reality is, is more is made about Mary in some traditions than even the Bible says about Mary. And certainly more than Mary would have said about herself. So for instance, in some traditions, there are what I would call extra-biblical teaching. And extra-biblical means that it's, it's stuff that's not necessarily in the Bible. It addresses biblical issues, but it's maybe church tradition, or maybe it's writings that's not in the Bible, but kind of relates to that time. It's kind of the extra uh, stuff that goes uh, with the Bible. And there are some extra-biblical traditions that have become a part of doctrine in certain churches. So for instance, in the Roman Catholic Church and in most of the Eastern Orthodox churches, people would say about Mary that she is sinless, that Mary is without sin. And the idea behind that is this began with the idea that if Mary was a normal sinful person, that it would have somehow contaminated Jesus. And so if Jesus was sinless, which we know that he was, his mother needed to be sinless as well. And so that's kind of how that tradition uh, got going. And yet Romans 3.23, a scripture like that, couldn't be more clear about the fact that all have sinned, all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. A lot of people also have held to the tradition that Mary remained a virgin throughout her, throughout her life. And yet we see that the scripture doesn't talk about that. It talks about Joseph and Mary abstaining from relations until the baby is born. But then after that, we see that Joseph and Mary had a family and Jesus had siblings. And in fact, we know that the books of the Bible, James and Jude, were written by half-brothers of Jesus. Another term that you'll sometimes hear about Mary is that that Mary is a a mediatrix, is what the the theologians call that word. It sounds like kind of a sci-fi movie, but it's just the Latin word that means Mary is a a mediator, that Mary is like this somehow this go-between between God and people. That's why you'll often hear in some traditions that people pray directly to Mary, right? They pray to Mary. And the thought is that Mary then takes your request and brings it to God. It's kind of like if you're sort of afraid to ask dad for something, why don't we ask mom for it? And, you know, maybe we'll we'll get what we want. And and really, that's kind of how it is. And yet again, the scripture is so clear on this. Because 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. 
Hebrews 4 says this too, that, that when we approach God, it says we don't need a mediator. We can boldly, with confidence, approach the very throne of grace because of the work that Christ has done for us. And so that, that's kind of an extra biblical teaching uh, about Mary. Uh, one other title that's sometimes given to Mary throughout the years is that she is co-redemptrix. Now, this is not official, uh, accepted Catholic doctrine as far as I uh, know, but the idea is that along with Jesus, this kind of got built up through the years, that Mary also played a role in our redemption. In fact, there is even a Santa Maria church in uh, Rome that's got Jesus on one side of the cross and Mary on the other side of the cross. And yet again, scripture could not be more clear that it says something like this. There is salvation in no one else for there is no other name other than Jesus Christ under heaven among men by which we must be saved. So I just kind of want to be clear because there's a lot of talk and, and discussion about Mary out there. And so then if Mary is not sinless, as we would believe. If Mary is not a mediator between us and God, if Mary does not play any part in my uh, redemption, what's so special about Mary? What is the big deal about her? Who is she? Well, the Bible actually tells us quite a bit about Mary. And what we see is that she is a very significant person. In fact, she's someone that I really believe that, that should be emulated and should be followed for a number of different reasons. But here's what I believe about Mary. I believe Mary is worthy of studying and is considered to be such a special and important person because she was an ordinary person. In fact, there is not a much more ordinary person than Mary. But she was an ordinary person who was willing and available to be used by God to do extraordinary things. And here's the deal with this. If Mary could be those things, we could be those things as well. So let's dig into the scriptures. Uh, we got a couple big sections we're going to read this morning. Luke 1, 26 and following. These are super familiar words, but let's just read them through together. It says in verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel, angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you are, what does the angel say about her? You are highly favored. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Um... How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will do what? Will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. You see, even your Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And then let's just read this last verse together. Let's just read this last verse together. Everybody together. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her.
Well, that's a beautiful story. And uh, in that, I want us to focus on two descriptions that we see about uh, Mary. And when you read them, you think that these are kind of unique to Mary, and they certainly are a part of Mary's story. But what I want to suggest is these don't have to be unique to, to Mary. These things that if you are a follower of Jesus are true about you and are things that when we kind of surrender to these things and have that willing availability to these things, um, God can use us as well. So what are those? The first one is this. You might want to take some notes here. It says, Mary was filled with, and as we said, was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Now, the most direct application of that interaction about what the Holy Spirit is going to do with Mary uh, really is that the Holy Spirit caused Mary to conceive a child while she was still a virgin and give birth to a son. So that's a big deal. The theology behind that is therefore is that Jesus was fully man. Jesus was born of a woman. He was fully man. He understands what we go through. But he was also conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was fully God and without sin. And so that that's, uh, means a number of things that Jesus was fully man and fully God. One of the things that I was thinking about is it fulfills a prophecy that was given way back in the Garden of Eden when sin first entered into the world and messed everything up. One of the consequences was is that there would be enmity, there would be strife between the 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 seed of the uh, between the the. Uh, Adam and Eve's descendants and the, the serpent who represents Satan. And we feel this in our world. We feel that there's this evil in our world. But at the very beginning there, uh, God says that one day from the seed of a woman, which is kind of a weird way to say that, from the seed of a woman, one would come who would ultimately crush the serpent's head. That Jesus would be the one that would ultimately be the one that would defeat all evil and in the end set all things right. So this idea that he was over, or she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit is, is really important theologically. But for me, I've always just loved that designation that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. Because honestly, that's how I want to live in my life. The truth is, I've lived with myself long enough to know my limitations. I've lived with myself to know the things that I just can't do in my own strength and my own power. My, my desire to, to love in the way that, that God loves people and that Christ loves people is beyond what I can do in my flesh. My ability to overcome sin, quite honestly, and to pursue purity and to pursue the holy life that God has for me. So many times you can make a little bit of progress, but honestly, that, it's beyond what I can do in my own limitations. To, to live with the purpose that God has for me, to be that the husband, the father, the pastor, the friend, any of those things. You know, you can kind of white knuckle it and work those things out for a little bit, but ultimately it's beyond my capacity to do those things. And yet overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Because all year long we've been talking about this idea that the Spirit is alive in us. And if you are a follower of Jesus, His Spirit lives inside of you. But what a sweet prayer to say, not only would you live inside of me, but Holy Spirit, would you overshadow me? So what people is, see isn't me, but what people see is you. And, and so that's really um, what it's about. And here's the thing about that. That kind of life is the abundant life. Jesus talks about this abundant life that he has for us. And that's where that takes place. Not working in our natural self, but working in being this idea of being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. In fact, think a little bit about Mary's life. So 
I think that, that she was overshadowed, of course, with the conception. But then Mary kind of lived this life filled and overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And just think of the things, some of the things that the Bible teaches us about Mary. We know, obviously, she was there when Jesus was born. So that's kind of a big deal. She was, you know, about the only one uh, besides Joseph to see that. Uh, so that was kind of cool. And then right away, Mary was there when these outcast shepherds come and, and worship her son. And then a few years later, she's there when these, these uh, um, wise men from the, the east, these Gentile wise men come and worship and bring him gifts. So Mary began to understand that God was doing something different. It wasn't just about a certain class of people or a certain kind of people. It was shepherds and Gentiles and all these people as God was flinging open the doors uh, for his kingdom. And Mary got to see that from the very beginning. Mary was there when, when Jesus was 12 years old and, and she came to realize that he'd been teaching at the temple in a way that had such authority that, that people were blown away and Mary had a chance to see that. Mary was there when Jesus did his first miracle. In fact, Mary's the one who encourages Jesus to do his first miracle, turning water into wine in Canaan. Cana. And then uh, Mary's with him throughout his life. And when it comes to the very end, and when Jesus hangs up there on the cross, we're told specifically that there in the crowd was Mary, the mother of Jesus, her heart being pierced with grief as she watched her son and her savior being crucified on the cross. And then she saw him laid in the tomb. But then Mary also had the privilege to see Jesus resurrected from the dead. In fact, in the book of Acts, maybe you didn't even know this, but in the book of Acts, you read about this group of people that sees uh, Jesus ascend into heaven. And then they wait in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to come. And there's a list of the names of some of the people that are there. The only name listed of a person who's not an apostle is Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there for all of that. And the point I'm trying to make is talk about an abundant life. Talk about being where the action is. Now, obviously, we may not be able to have those kind of experiences, but if you are tired of going through the motions in life, the prayer you pray is, Holy Spirit, overshadow me because I want to be where you are at work. And we see that in Mary. It's one of the things that set her up to do such amazing things. Um, So that's the first thing, is that she was overshadowed um, by the Holy Spirit. A second thing we see that was described in what we just read is that Mary was highly favored. I love this designation. The the angel said, uh, Mary, God has found favor with you. So what does that mean? To find favor with God, to be favored by God. Um, Because if you look at it from a human perspective, there is not much that is favored about Mary. In fact, every year, maybe you know this, the the magazine Forbes magazine, you guys know Forbes magazine, it's a business magazine, and they come out with a list of their top people, their most significant people um, in the world, and they do a, a, a magazine every year. And a few years ago, this is what it said about the most powerful people, is what they call them, the most powerful people in the world. It said there are well over 7 billion people in the world, and these are the ones that matter the most which seems a little harsh because I did not see any of our names on this. (laughs) 
So this is what Forbes says makes a person powerful, makes a person significant. They gave us four, four things. They said, first of all, how many people does he or she have power over, right? What authority or power do you have? What financial resources do they control? How rich are you? Do you exercise power in more than one area? How diverse is your influence? Do they actively wield the power that they have in effective ways? So they say that's the barometer uh, for how a person is, is powerful. It's basically power and money is what makes a person significant. And yet if you think about it, Mary can't be found anywhere on that list, right? Who did she have power over? Who did Mary have power over? Exactly no one. Mary was a poor girl from Nowheresville. Any tiny amount of power that she might have gained in her life was suddenly lost when it was found out that she was pregnant while she was still engaged. In fact, Steve brought this up last week, that especially in a culture that's dominated by honor and shame, the shame that she would have felt and the shame that she would have brought to her family. As Westerners, we don't always get that shame thing because we think, oh, maybe she'd be a little embarrassed. Maybe she'd, you know, uh, feel awkward at certain events. But no, so much more than that. Deuteronomy chapter 22 says that for a woman pregnant, actually she can be taken out of the town and stoned to death. And so now here's Mary who doesn't even have power over her own life. Whether she lives or dies is beyond her control at this point. Well, what about financial resources? Maybe that's what she's got. Well, if they would have had financial resources, there probably would have been room in some inn for them to stay. We know that when Mary and Joseph go to the temple to dedicate Jesus on the eighth day, they offer the smallest offering that was acceptable. It's what the poorest of the poor would offer. It was two doves that they had to offer. There's actually very little mention of the town Nazareth where Mary and Joseph are from in the extra biblical writing, but it is mentioned in a few places. One of the few things that history records about Nazareth it was a, is that it was a city with no sewage system. That's what history remembered it, as the place that smells terrible. So Nazareth, in the time when Jesus was raised there, probably covered about 10 acres, probably consisted of about 300 people in the town. So in other words, just a little bit bigger than the the size of kind of the, the footprints of this church property, and with less people that are here in this building this morning, that's what Nazareth was about. That was the whole town. And yet, we see, uh, it's safe to say that Mary would not have been found on any Forbes magazine highly favored list. But she's on God's highly favored list, right? She's the one that God finds favor with. He sees her. He knows her. The angel says, God has specifically chosen you. Girl, you are highly favored. And here's what I want you to know today. God says the same thing about you. God says the same thing about you. In fact, the word that the angel uses that is translated favored is a word that's used many other times to describe a person who is a follower of Jesus. It's simply the word grace. Mary, you are a recipient of God's grace. And if you place your faith in Jesus, by grace, you are saved. By grace, you are a child of God. By grace, you are highly favored. And here's the thing about God's grace. It's not based on the stuff that we did. It's not based on our merit or, or the things that we've done or how great we are. God's grace is based on how great he is and the things that he has done. 
And so that's how it is with Mary. She's described as filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with God's favor, and yet still she's this teenage girl who's facing extraordinary pressure, right? She's got to just be getting squeezed under the pressure uh, that she was facing. And yet here's what I love about Mary, is when she was squeezed, what came out of her is this beautiful Christmas song, this song of praise, because she was filled with the Spirit, because she was filled with God's grace. When she goes under the pressure, what comes out is this beautiful song. Let's keep reading now in Luke chapter 1, verses uh, 46 and following. It says this. It's called Mary's Song, and it says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Well, what an amazing Christmas song uh, Mary writes. And she she shows the life that's full of grace, the life that's full of the Spirit, what comes out of that uh, kind of life when they're overshadowed. And we see that Mary has kind of a core understanding that shapes who she is. And this core understanding is in two areas. It has to do with how she sees herself and how she sees God. What does she believe about herself and what does she believe about God? And you see that come dripping out of this song. Why do I say that? Well, to start with, what did Mary say about herself? What does Mary see about herself? Mary saw that she was small. She saw how small she was compared to God, because Mary saw herself as God's humble servant. Mary saw herself as God's humble servant. So you see it in verse 48 in the psalm that we just wrote there, the song that we just read, uh, that she calls herself God's servant. But you also see it up in verse 38, when the angel comes and he says, you know, here's, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get pregnant, and you're going to have this son, and he's going to rule the world, and all of this stuff. And can you imagine everything that she was feeling? And yet, what is her response? Her response isn't like the great prophet Jonah to run away and hide. Her response isn't like the great Moses who says to God, oh no, you must, you got the wrong guy. Find someone else. I've got all these things. Mary's response is this, may your word to me be fulfilled. May your word be, to be fulfilled because I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. And again, the same word in verse 38 and verse 48, it's the Greek word doulos. We've talked about this word several times in the past. It's an important word. The word means slave, one who is a slave. Now, most modern translations kind of soften that and call it servant. And that's fine because slave is kind of an offensive term. And, and it is. But the truth of it is, is doulos is kind of an offensive term. It means someone who belongs to another. And that's how Mary sees herself. That's how Mary sees herself as someone who belongs to God first and foremost. I am a a humble servant. I belong to you. And here's the thing. If you're longing to experience that favor and that grace and that overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, one of the keys that is going to unlock that in our life is a spirit of humility. In fact, let me just share a few verses with you uh, that, that speak to this. Proverbs three thirty four. 
says this. I, I may not have them on the screen. Proverbs 3.34 says this. Let me just read them to you. It says that God mocks the proud, but he shows favor. God shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. 1 Peter 5, same thing. God opposes the proud. God actually works against us when we are proud, but he shows grace. He shows that same word as favor to the humble. Isaiah 66, 2 says, these are the ones that I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite and who tremble at my word. When I see someone who's humble and contrite, those are the ones that I favor, God says. James 4, 10 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. You see, the grace-filled life and the spirit-filled life begins with this understanding of, of how small we are compared to God. And here's the deal. When we can take that, that, uh, that pride away from ourselves and that, that, um, uh, just the, the, all the belief that we have to be the ones that make everything happen, that it's all up to us, that it's all on me, not only do we stand against God, not only do we find ourselves standing against God, but we miss the favor that he wants to get. And it is so sweet to live with the relief that, you know what? It's not all about me. I can actually lean not on my own understanding, but I can trust in God and he directs my path. And that was true of Mary's life. It started with humility. But this idea, uh, the, the second thing we see is that Mary had a, a big view of God. And, and the way those, those two things work together, the reason that Mary believed the things that she believed about herself, I'm your humble servant, was because of this huge view that she had of God. And real quick, I just want to walk you through uh, three things that Mary says specifically about God. She says, uh, she begins by saying, my soul glorifies the Lord and, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So in other words, God, it's going to be all about you. And then she gives at least three characteristics about God uh, that I just want to point out because if, if we can live with these things, we'll begin to experience some of that grace as well. First of all, Mary knew that God was mindful of her. Mary knew that God was mindful of her. He says, for he has been mindful of your humble state of your servant." Even in the most trying situation, even with all the pressure that she faces, Mary has this sense that it's going to be okay because God remembers me and God sees me and God is mindful of me. You know, I was thinking a little bit about that because um, this Christmas is maybe kind of a unique one for, for me or something. I just kind of have a, a new thought about Christmas because uh, this year, my daughter, who happens to be named Mary, um, is engaged to be married. And um, so I'm like, well, it's kind of like the story in the Bible without the angels and the baby. But... Uh, <laughs> It's kind of given me this whole kind of new twist on things. Because a few weeks ago, um, they got engaged, uh, Mary and her fiancé, and we, we went down to San Diego to, to be a part of this um, uh, engagement party, and his parents were there, and our family was there, and all these friends were there, and it was just this beautiful uh, celebration uh, of this, and, and, and everything's so full of hope and so full of promise at this time. But here's what I started to realize. Ever since that happened, I can't tell you how often I'm thinking about my daughter, Mary. Partly that's because we're planning a wedding and apparently that takes over every moment until that time happens. But you know what else? It's just made me as her father nostalgic about her and thinking about her and hopeful for her future and praying for her future and willing to do whatever I can. If I need you to come alongside and help or if there's something I can do, I'm her father and I want to be there. You know why? Because she's on my mind. I am mindful of her. 
And then think about Mary in the Bible. Mary is from the lowest class that there is. She is aware that at any moment, her scandalous pregnancy could lead to her death. She doesn't know what the future holds. She's got this crazy promise from an angel. And yet, what does she say? Oh God, you remember me. You are mindful of me. It means you turn your face to me. And for that, I glorify you. And you need to know today that God is mindful of you. It may not feel like it because you might feel like you're alone, but God sees you and knows you and knows every little thing that you're going through. God's your father. In the limited way that I think about my daughter, God thinks about you with the, with the omnipotence that he can give his full attention and heart to you. You guys, if God had this big giant refrigerator, your picture would be on the front of it because God is mindful of you. And Mary's got this view of God that understands that. But it's not just that, that Mary knew that God was mindful. She also knew that God was mighty. God is mighty. And a big part of the psalm is about kind of the strength and the might of God, of God. It says his mighty arm has saved and delivered his people. He has done great things. Holy is his name. And so Mary, in this psalm that we just read, she talks some about the things that God has done in the past, but then she kind of flips and starts to talk about things that are in the future. Mary actually plays the role really of a, of a prophet in some of the things that she says about Jesus. And, and she, she starts to talk about things that are to, to come. And most of us probably have this idea that Mary was this very humble, mild little girl. And yet what we see here is that especially for someone of such humble status is that she was amazingly strong. And Mary was in some ways revolutionary in the things that she said. Do you know, I guess it'd be a little less than 100 years ago, when India was still under British rule, that it was outlawed at certain times for missionaries to teach the Indian people Mary's song. Because they thought these Indian people would would hear this and they would rise up against their oppressors because of the, the things that Mary says about it. Same thing was true in Guatemala in the 1980s. The government banned missionaries from certain uh, prophetic writing and from Mary's song because they thought somehow it's gonna empower these crazy people to ride up, rise up. And it was a cry of freedom for the oppressed. This is what Mary says. He scattered the proud. He brings down the thrones of rulers. He fills the hungry and he sends the rich away empty-handed. Mary says these words in a past tense because she is so confident that this son that's going to be born was from the mighty God and she can trust her her future promise as well. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about Mary's song. He says this. He says, The song of Mary, it as once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary who we sometimes see in paintings. The song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It's instead a hard, strong song about the power of God and the powerlessness of mankind. And Mary has this great faith that God is mighty and that God is ushering in this new upside down kingdom where things are made right and are back to the way that God had them. And let me just remind you that when Mary utters this song about the mighty being knocked off their thrones, she's saying this at the same time that Herod was the ruler where she lived. And over Herod was Caesar Augustus. And yet still she spoke these words. And yet think about this. Here we are generations later and Herod and Augustus, 
are a footnote in history. And the Jesus that she talks about here is being worshiped today by billions of people all around the world. You see, Mary knew that God was mighty and he was gonna do great things. And then finally, Mary knew that God was merciful. She says this, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. She said, God promised long ago through, through Abraham that one would come that would be a blessing to all of the nations. And Mary reminds us that that time of mercy is not something that you have to wait for anymore. That time of mercy is now. He's mindful, he is mighty, he is merciful, and he sends us his son. And so isn't it amazing to think of all that this little girl offers to us and what power there is in her words. And and let me just ask you, as you think about your Christmas this year, are you more, is the soundtrack of your Christmas more Oh Holy Night? Or is it a little closer to Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer? Because you know how you make that shift? You begin to see yourself for who you are. You begin to see God for who he is. And you pray some of those prayers. God, I recognize that I am highly favored. God, I recognize that I want to be overshadowed by your spirit. And then when we are willing and we're available, God will do extraordinary things through an ordinary group of people like us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. These are ancient uh, words, familiar words in so many ways, and yet they remind us of your greatness. And so I thank you for the model of Mary. I thank you for her humility. I thank you for her trust in you. And I pray, Lord, that that spirit would be true in our lives this Christmas season. There's so much going on. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of stuff. Slow us down to focus on your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would lead this church and you would lead us to be people that do extraordinary things because of our extraordinary God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.